Hello, my name's Alex Bellinger, and this is Small Biz Pod on Monday, the 4th of September. Many thanks for all the feedback um, encouraging me to uh, get another podcast out. Uh, there was always one on the way, but uh, August was obviously kind of a, a little summer break for the podcast. So thanks for bearing with me. In today's show, I have um, a, an excellent interview with Brian O'Kane, who is the author of a really rather good book on starting up your business uh, particularly in the UK, although it, it's very relevant to anyone looking to to, to set out into the world of uh, entrepreneurship or, or, or running their own business for the first time. So uh, an interesting conversation with Brian about some of the characteristics and uh, information and practicalities you'll need to get your head round in order to launch your business successfully. So definitely one for the, the startups amongst you out there. Now I will come on to some comments uh, from listeners later on in the show. Uh, but I thought I'd just start off by uh, one from uh, John from the Alcohol Free Shop who says, just listen to your podcast for the first time yesterday, number 30. Really enjoyed it. I do have one suggestion. Leave the feedback until later in the show. As a new listener, I was very, I very nearly stopped after a few minutes. It was really dull. Um, now, listeners want to hear what you have to say first, or at least new listeners do, um, and what your blog is about, and then some feedback from previous shows would be good. Now, uh, I actually pretty much agree with John. Not that the comments are dull. I think the, I think the comments are great. But in terms of listeners, I think uh, they, want to listen, they want to hear, first off, uh, the, the, the content of the show, the interviews. So... I am going to move the, the comments uh, received from listeners, which I really do appreciate, uh, till the end of the show. So you can, if you're a bit pressed for time, you can just plough into the, into the interview and, and the, the, the information, advice and uh, inspiration, I guess. With that in mind, let's move directly to the interview with Brian O'Kane, author of Starting a Business in Britain. Um, over 400,000 uh, businesses in the UK start up each year, but there are huge challenges for anyone um, setting up a business, whether it is in terms of uh, personal challenges or whether it is getting their heads around some of the, the legislation technicalities that uh, startups face in Britain. Um, so I thought today we would talk to somebody who's not only set up his own business, but has uh, written a book about it, which uh, is coming out in December. It's called Starting a Business in Britain. And uh, I'd like to welcome to Small Biz Pod today, uh, Brian O'Kane. Brian, welcome. Thank you. Um, Brian, um, you uh, were an accountant by profession in the, in the first instance and sort of branched off into to journalism. Um, and ended up setting up your own publishing company. Um, how did how was that experience for you, and 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 why did it prompt you to 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 write this book? Okay, it's it's a little of a long story, and just <laughs> I, I trained as an accountant, having not seen anything else that I wanted to do. My father was a chartered accountant before me, so I suppose I was perhaps influenced in that. Mm. Um, but quickly realized um, once I got a, a chance to spend some time in the training department of the firm that I worked with, that that was what I enjoyed. Um, and I was lucky enough to get a two-year tour in, in, in the training department um, and then was forced back out into the real world to earn fees and, and didn't like it very much. Mm. Um, and through a series of moves, I found myself in journalism um, 
as the features editor and then editor of an accountancy magazine, uh, which was a wonderful experience because I was being paid every day and I was learning new things and um, uh, it was just immense fun. Yeah. But we got to a point where we had four small children and we decided not to bring them up in London but to move back to Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had been arguing that publishing was location independent. Um, and so we came back to Ireland and set up our, our publishing business. Um, I had always wanted to run my own business, but never knew what kind of business it would be. Yeah. And in uh, Accountancy Magazine, I was lucky enough to go to Stanford University, where the Alumni Association runs a wonderful publishing course for two weeks every year. Okay. Um, and in the middle of one of the sessions, uh, like a blinding light, I suddenly realized this is what I want to do. This is the kind of business I want to run. Mm. Um, and it took two more years before we actually got started. And the business had gone through lots of different different changes. It's, it's very much not the business we started um, in 1989. Um, but it was, I suppose, how the book came about was that coming back to Ireland, having spent... Um, my, my early part of my career training to be an accountant, working as an accountant, working with an accounting magazine where I had access to huge amounts of, of information about management and business. Mm. Um, I still found myself falling foul of the, the absolute basics of filling in forms and the bureaucracy and getting information, all of which was public domain information, in many cases being promulgated actively by the organizations, um, but in such a disorganized way that um, it just was very difficult to get your hands on it. Yeah. And I started compiling notes um, which eventually became a book called Starting a Business in Ireland, and now is um, starting a business in Britain in, in the second edition. And it was designed to pull things that people need to know um, and which are available, but not readily available, and certainly not available in one place. Yeah, I mean, I'd pull this all together so you have something quickly, and it will help you make a decision whether you should be doing this. Uh, or not, as the case may be. Yeah. And sometimes the, the, the no decision there is, is not only the right decision, but a good decision. Um, or that this is for you, and it will help you then through the early stages of getting getting up and running. Because there is a, I mean, there's a huge wealth of uh, information, whether it's on the internet or, or in terms of, of books and so on and so forth. But it is there's it is a so struggle to connect it all together sometimes, yeah. I think, for a startup. Yeah, I, I think people coming with it, they, they have experience in usually in one area in the product or service they want to uh, to provide. Um, they don't have the rest of the, the broad experience. They don't have that research experience to take all this information and distill it down to the bits that are important. Um, and in many cases, it's actually quite hard to get the information, this, this, to get the right information that's relevant to you. Yeah. Um, and the idea was to provide a, a very quick overview that gets you started and gets you rolling, um, and then the, the, the detail will follow in some cases. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, I think one of the, the biggest challenges for, for anyone, uh, most people aren't, aren't, aren't born entrepreneurs in that. They, that's not their first job, starting up a business, although mm-hmm. obviously some are. Many come from employment, as, as you did and, and as I have done, um, and decided, yep, now I'm now I'm going to start my own business. This is this is the moment. But um, what is your view, having written the book and, and having set up Oak Tree Press yourself? Uh, uh, what, in in your view, uh, are the, the the kind of psychological challenges that that you need to be prepared for? The psychological challenges are the amount of work you need to do. Um, the 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 difficulty of the decision making in the early stages when you 
don't know what's right and you don't have enough information to make the decisions. Um, and to some extent, just the loneliness early on. Yeah. Because it, it's still a minority sport. Not everybody does this. Mm, and mm. most people, when you say that you're going to give up your sensible, pensionable job mm. um, to, to start a business, you think that you're crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and you probably are. But um, it, it's, a, it's, a, uh, you know, it's, it's a choice and, and it's something that um, more people are doing. I think there is um, an element here um, of, of looking at how you reduce the risk for yourself. And that's, uh, I, I do a lot of training work over the last couple of years yeah. um, arising from the book. And um, I see myself very much helping people to reduce the risk of failure mm. because the, the sad statistic is that 50% of startups fail in the first three years. Mm. And that seems to be fairly well universal. Um, the, the only exception seems to be franchises. Um, yeah. And franchises work because somebody else has done all the thinking for you. Yeah. You don't have to choose a logo or a location or a layout for your your premises or what the product will be or what sizes you sell it at or the price you sell it at. Mm. You're told what to do. Um, and that gives you the increased level of success. But when you're doing it for yourself, you've got to make all those decisions. And they're all interdependent. And they're, none of them are easy decisions. But when they have that knock-on consequence, you change your price, which means you must change your marketing and maybe move your location and hire different staff. Mm. Um, these are all big things. That, yeah, and, yeah. and suddenly, something that looks very simple becomes a, a nightmare. Mm. Uh, and people don't um, understand this, that, that um, you need to go through a process of, of planning your business so that you protect yourself by working out the answer to these questions before they hit you in the real world. Mm. Now you mentioned earlier that that obviously um, some people may may sit down and read your book and think, "Oh my God, it's definitely not for me. I can't face that." that, that that's a success. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is a good, definitely you know, which is a good a good thing because I, yeah. I guess that leads potentially to fewer um, uh, business startup failures um, in the yeah. in the long run. People, people, it's important. I think that people go into this with their with their eyes very wide open. Mm. Um, but. Um, what other um, uh, basic uh, research before you, if you if you think that you, you you're um, uh, ready to take the plunge, as it were, and to uh, and to set up the business, and you've you've got got an idea um, for a business, how do you go about actually researching whether or not it's going to um, it's going to work? I I, I get a, a lot of questions from people looking to start up who find that actually one of the hardest mm. elements to to actually do some some hard-nosed customer research about whether or sure. not your product or service is going to be saleable for want of a better word okay I, I, I'm glad you used the word saleable because I think that actually is the, the core of the market research um, a lot of the stuff around business and starting up a business either is easy to do or will happen regardless um, the, the difficult bit is actually bringing in the sales yeah um, it's the one figure in most business plans that I see um, that has the least support mm. um, and the least evidence underpinning it yeah phone bills and back calculations and all sorts of other things are pinned down to the nth degree of, of, of detail mm. um, and the sales figure is very often just a balancing figure stuck in there in the hope that someday maybe you might get to this. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it's kind of the cherry on the on the top of the cake. Yeah. Um, and 
I think you have to start the other way around. You've got to start with sales because if you've got people who want to buy whatever it is you've got, um, then the chances are you will be able to make it. You'll find somebody who will help you to make it. Um, you'll probably be able to make it at a reasonable cost. And if you can't, you'll know that very quickly. Mm. Um, and you'll fill in all the rest of the, the, the detail. Um, but it's getting those sales. And I think you have to understand your customers. And yeah. the only way to understand your customers is to go out and talk to them. Uh, and is, that's, that's hard. Yeah. It, it's hard to do because it's, it's psychologically taking down barriers and walking up to people and saying, would you buy this? Mm. Uh, and that, that's difficult. People are very reserved in most cases. Um, it's also difficult if you're working. Mm. Um, I, I do a lot of work with people who are on programs of one kind or another where they are effectively full-time and have the, the, the mind space to do this over a number of months. But if you're working nine to five, um, and trying to cope with maybe a family at home or, or, or other things, then um, it's very difficult to get that hour or two hours to, to, to do that kind of work. But until you put what it is you intend to sell in front of people and they offer you money for it, mm. um, you really haven't done, done the research properly. Yeah. And is it is it enough to just personally, you know, you yourself go around, um, talk to friends, family, potential customers, um, uh, what would amount to a sort of handful uh, from a sort of research point of view of, of, of potential customers? Is, is that enough or, or do you need to uh, um, branch out into some, some sort of hardcore customer research and, 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 I think and market you've got research? To, I think you've got to go talk to strangers. Yeah. And the stranger they are, the better. <laughs> um, the, the further out you go away from your comfort zone. Yeah. Uh, you talk to your mother, you talk to your, your partner, you talk to your friends. And they're going to say, yeah, 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 that's great. I, I, I'd love one of those. Mm. Um, uh, 16 pounds, no problem. We'll, we'll buy one of those. Uh, do you have it in red? <laughs> uh, that's not the, the same thing as, as somebody who doesn't know you, who's never seen you or your product or knows nothing about you saying, I'll take one of those. And here's my checkbook. Yeah. You know, it, it's, yeah. And that's what you've got to get to. You, what you're trying to do is to, is to that top line in your, in your financial projections, your business line, the sales line, this month we're going to do a thousand pounds of sales. Next month two thousand. The month after three thousand. Where are they going to come from? Mm, mm. You know, in 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 at the end of the year, you will produce your accounts, and you will be able to put names and addresses against each of those figures. That that first month sales were a thousand pounds. There were a hundred units at ten pounds a time bought by these hundred people with the names and addresses against them. Yeah. That's what your that's what your accounts effectively show. Um, what you want to do is to put those names and addresses in now if you possibly can. Yeah. Um, and to tie that down as much as you as you can because then it will be easy to do. It's just hard work of doing it at that point. Mm. But if you project out and say in November we will sell twenty thousand pounds worth of stuff, and next March we'll sell eighty thousand pounds worth of stuff. Um, to whom? Yeah. How yeah. do you know what? What are you going to do? What do you need to do today, tomorrow, next week, next month to make that sale happen? And have you begun to engage in doing that? Yeah. Now, I mean, um, interesting sort of corollary to that is whether or not. Um, I mean, I think one of the important things for for any startup is, although you end up, if if you're a, a you know a solo entrepreneur in the first instance, you end up, of course, 
having to do everything. But there is an argument for saying that um, early on you need to recognise what, what your own personal strengths are and, uh, and what your personal weaknesses are and potentially uh, use or employ or hire somebody to do the bits that you're not so good at. Now, for many, I would guess, um, sales is an element of that. Selling is, quite a, is, is a very skilled job. Mm-hmm. Is, there a, is there an argument for saying that um, it, once you have got yourself uh, established, you should look quickly to hiring in that kind of expertise? I think when you establish, you can hire in because you have a platform on which to do that. Yeah. You have um, some revenues um, which you can divert to paying a salesperson. You have a product. You have a customer base. Um, you can direct them into where they're likely to find prospects because you know what's happening there. Yeah. I think the difficulty actually is getting to that point yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. for most people. If I had... 20,000 a month coming in, then I could afford to hire a salesperson. My mm. problem is, I, how do I get to that without a salesperson? Mm. And you've got to go do it yourself. Um, and I think that um, one of the difficulties is that a lot of the um, support mechanisms, the, the literature, the advice, etc., for entrepreneurs is about solo entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, and I do think you need to have a team or a balance of skills one of which key skill is sales. Yeah. Um, if you don't have it, you've got to either learn it very fast, if necessary, the hard way, um, or to to bring it in. And at that very early startup stage, I think uh, bringing it in is not a hiring decision. I think it's a partnership decision. Yes, um, you're bringing yeah. if if if. If you have an idea and I'm going to be your salesperson, I'm coming in at the very earliest stages to help with the startup, then I'm coming, I think, coming in as a partner to, to make this a success for both of us. Yeah. Uh, because you can't do without me and I can't do without you. Um, once you've got a running, um, there's a, maybe it's a little bit, bit rude or callous, but you're, you're a body part, you're a cog in the machine. Mm. Um, maybe a very important cog, but still the machine is running and, and you become replaceable. But in that early stage, it's, it's um, an absolutely critical, uh, I think, partnership decision rather than a hiring decision. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would always encourage people to look around and see can they find a partner who will share that risk and, and obviously the rewards as well yeah. with them in the early stage. And it's very hard mentally for people to let go at that point and give away 30, 40, 50% of their business mm. at that early stage mm. when it's actually worth nothing. Oh, yeah. um, but there's a sense that it's my baby and I've done all the work. But Absolutely. I think it's, it, it has to be a, a shared thing at that early stage if you can, get, if you can find the right person. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's good advice. Um, <clears throat> uh, business plans. A lot of people uh, uh, have written a lot about business plans and... Uh, there is a, a prevailing view that if you don't have a plan, you don't know where you're going, um, mm-hmm. and that's fine. But uh, isn't there a risk that um, a, a business plan can become either an, an albatross or, or a pair of blinkers uh, for the, the, the proverbial startup? Um, yes, to both of those. Um, most of the business plans I see are neither. Um, they're just a waste of paper. Right. Okay. Um, simply because people haven't done enough thinking before they start writing. Yeah. Um, and I think that the issue is about business planning rather than the business plan. Mm. There, There is a skill in taking your thinking and your research and your planning and putting it on paper in a way that communicates to other people 
what you intend to do and how you intend to achieve it and what the results will be. Uh, and there is a definite skill in doing that, in, in a bit like doing examinations. Mm. Um, but business plans have the same relationship to business success as exams have to education. Yeah. Um, they're just a measure and not a very good measure at that. But the process of business planning is absolutely critical. Yeah. Um, and I think in that case, if you've done the process properly, it neither becomes a blinker thing because you've been, you've looked widely enough and know where your path is. Um, nor is it going to be an albatross because um, it, it will help you on on the route to where you want to get to. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you don't have, if you don't have the business planning done, you will not know where you're going to get, go to, or how to get there. If you don't have a written business plan, um, I think you will go on the journey and forget or not know where you're taking side roads and, and, and routes uh, that are going to lead you away. Um, it's a little bit like going to visit somebody in the country in Europe. You're, you've been given directions over the phone which you didn't scribble down <laughs> or you left yeah. the, the scribbled piece of paper behind yeah. um, and you're now lost in deepest countryside in the dark of night and you can press on and turn left or right at almost at random and you'll still be lost. Um, yeah. And that's what happens with lots of businesses is that they, they press on in the dark in, uh, almost at random and they don't really know what they're doing or why. Yeah. Um, at least if you have your plan with you, however elegant it might be, um, you do have a sense that this is what we're supposed to be doing or no, um, Alex has offered us this wonderful new job, um, a contract to do such and such. It's not really what we do. We could do it. Mm. Uh, it's not really what we want to do, but we're being really well paid for this and we can use the profit from that to hire a salesperson which will move us forward. So we'll divert from where we are, but we know it's a diversion yeah. rather than yeah. thinking, oh, here's a brand new opportunity and we've we found a new market. Yeah. Um, it may be just a one-off that you've got. Um, and I think it's that sense that you have a, a plan that is not set in stone but guides you in, in the yeah. same way as if you if you go traveling on, on a Sunday afternoon for a drive and uh, you plan to, to go somewhere and be somewhere for dinner that evening um, along the road you see a road sign that says you know viewing point a walk or whatever it is mm. and you say wouldn't it be nice to stop and go go that direction and you can do and with your map you know that you really want to get back on the main road and you've got to retrace your steps or you can go along these other roads that will get you to uh, back to the main road again further on. Yeah, yeah. But you know already all, at every stage, you know where you, where you are and you know where you ought to be, which is far more important. Yeah, yeah. So um, it is and that's really what business planning is about, is to have that sense of direction and, and where you're going um, so you're not just wandering lost. Yeah, so just as it, is a, it is a sort of perspective thing and also a, 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 a a document that is kind of organic and evolutionary, I would imagine, as well. Yeah, I think there are two versions of business plans as well. People um, tend to talk about the business plan as being being one thing. I think there's a version of a business plan for yourself, yeah, um, which is a can be a very scruffy document um, with bits and scribbles on it and bits stuck in and stapled on the edges, um, and maybe not very coherent to anybody outside a small circle. I think when you get to uh, a business plan that goes to external parties, to the bank manager, to a support agency, to venture capitalist or private investor or whoever, then at that point you're communicating. Yeah. Um, I, I talked to somebody last night, I was doing a talk on business planning last night, and um, we had an estate agent in the room, um, and I asked him typically what kind of houses he sold and what kind of prices they were, and he said these are half a million 
plus. Mm-hmm. I said, how big are the brochures? How many pages are in the brochures? And he said, usually two, maybe four pages mm. um, with some pictures and maybe 100 to 200 words in it. Uh, on the basis of, of two to four pages and, and, and a couple of hundred words, he can sell half a million pound houses. Yeah, yeah. Um, people are not buying it on the detail that's in the, in the bit of paper. And people don't make decisions in investing your business on the basis of, of just the, the business plan, the, the 20 or 80 pages in that. They're making the decision very often on the executive summary on a whole sort of range of intangibles yeah. um, that are almost outside the plan itself. The plan then supports their decision that this was the right thing to do. And it demonstrates that somebody has thought in a structured way about yeah. their business and what, what it's for. Yes. Because somebody said to me that the, the one scenario that will not actually happen is the one that you write down in your business plan. <laughs> yes. um, and I would love to do a research exercise someday when is to take business plans from businesses, freeze them and put them in a, in a drawer somewhere and pull them out three years later and compare them against the company's actual performance. Yeah. Yeah. And I suspect that they will bear no resemblance to each other. So how has um, Oak Tree Press um, evolved from from your from your initial business plan, where 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 were you led? Where you were unexpectedly arrived at? Where was I led? Um, originally, we set out as a one-man consultancy, me and two computers in a thirteen by eight room. Mm. Um, and one of the first things I do was to define what it was I did. Um, I started with the the obvious things which were what I was selling, which was what people wanted. With, um, so I had a business letterhead which, which set out editing and training and consultancy across the top. And, yep. um, nobody commented on it. Nobody seemed to buy those things. And, and then I sat down for a couple of afternoons and did a lot of thinking um, and said that what I was actually providing was um, effective communication of business information. Yeah. Um, and in a way, that's, that is still what we do. Um, even though the formats have changed. In fact, we now look at it and say that the, that we don't care very much uh, what format we, we deliver our knowledge and experience and, and, and um, expertise in, mm-hmm. um, whether it's training or books or CDs or websites or whatever. Yeah. Uh, we're quite happy to deliver it in any format. Um, the key is that it, it, it is useful. And in doing that, we've specialized into this, the small business area and the small business development, uh, primarily at the startup uh, yeah. end of things. Um, and in working with small businesses over the last 10 years, uh, a lot of that harder end experience and our own bitter experience as well yeah. um, comes through in the book then. Um, and the feedback I've got from people is that they appreciate it because it's, it's not theoretical. It's not what you ought to do. Yeah. Um, it's what you must do because there are good reasons uh, for doing it. Yeah. Um, and I'm... I'm not lazy by nature, but I know that that people running your own business that just are not on the hours of the day. So there's no point adding things that would be nice to do, which will just sit on a to-do list yeah. and never get done. Um, so the, the advice I give is, is is very practical and it is deeply rooted in experience. And as I say, in many cases, bitter experience as well. <laughs> Don't do what I did. Do okay. read the book and, and do it right. One one final um, question: How important is failure? Um, I don't mean complete shutdown, or, may, or perhaps I do mean complete, you know, closure of a business. How important is failure to an entrepreneur? It's very traumatic. Um, I've not been there, so sales close to it. Mm. Um, it's bloody scary. I'll tell yeah. you that. Um, 
it's because there's an argument to, to be, say to be avoided certainly yeah um I mean, in the, U- the reason I ask the question is uh, we, we've got uh, quite a lot of listeners in the U.S. as well. And in the, in the U.S., the culture is very much, you know, you're not, you're not really an entrepreneur until you've had two failed businesses or something along those lines. Um, and and it, it, is, it, yeah. is that, it is that practical experience that, that gives you uh, ultimately the, the, the knowledge and also identifies whether you have the long-term determination to, 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 to make a business a success. Yeah. Okay, I, I accept that. I think it's a very high price to pay because yeah. I suspect many of the people who fail the first time don't get up and do it again. Yeah. Um, as they fail the second or third time, they don't get up either. And the ones who survive into the fourth or fifth incarnation are a tiny percentage of those who've come through. They may well be very successful in that fourth or fifth attempt, yeah. um, but it's a very harsh way of, of calling the, <laughs> yes. uh, the starting field. Um, <laughs> I, I think if you can, uh, what is important is that you do learn and you keep learning. Um, and that I think the, really, I suppose, the, the, the perspective is not so much that that failure is bad, that you know, having failed, that you are now a write-off. It's mm. um, having failed, if you've learned from it, then at least you won't make that mistake again. Yeah. Um, and I think the we, we tend to judge people very easily that, oh, he started a business, didn't work out, so he's, he's no good. Mm. Um, but he may not, might, may not have been any good, may not have given us enough thought or enough effort, but in most cases, it's, it, it was just unfortunate. Yeah. And they've learned and gone on to do better things. Uh, I don't think, though, that failure is a necessary part of success. Yeah. Um, if you can manage to avoid it, that, that's great. Yeah. Uh, but I think you have to be aware of it uh, along the way um, that is, is there, and I think that's what stalks most entrepreneurs. Um, it's the reason that most entrepreneurs cannot say no. Mm. Uh, they cannot turn down new work, mm. new contracts, new deals. They're always looking for the next thing, even though they've got more work on their plate than they can cope with. Um, they will never, ever say no to something new that comes along. Um, and part of that is just restlessness, and part of that is just a an insecurity that you don't know where the next meal is coming yeah. from, so you load up when you can. Absolutely. Um, but um, it's at the end of the day, it's 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 fun. Yeah. Um, and for the if you're right for it, um, then it will be a wonderful experience. And if you're not, then um, you you shouldn't really do it, and you need to think it through. And that's why the early part of starting a business in Britain is about your own suitability. Yeah. Uh, because that is absolutely critical. Okay, Brian O'Kane. Uh, thank you very much for your time uh, today. You're very welcome. Thank you. Okay, well, uh, I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, now let's move on to some comments. And to kick off, I've got a couple of audio comments for you. G'day, Alex. My name is Glenn, and I'm calling you from Nagoya, Japan. I'm actually from Australia in Melbourne, and uh, I've been listening to your podcast, and uh, it's very inspiring and has uh, taught me a lot, and I'm sure a lot of other people. So just wanted to say great work and uh, keep it up. Okay, thanks. Bye. G'day, Alex. Uh, it's Glenn here again from Nagoya, Japan. Um, just wanted to maybe perhaps raise a topic um, on a future show. Um, basically, I came up with an idea and I started working on it, um, started creating the website for it, but um, thought that uh, it would be better if someone else um, actually went ahead and continued my work. So um, I was thinking of how to actually sell my idea 
to someone else. So if you know of any resources or um, the best place that you can point me to on how to actually sell an idea, uh, that'd be great. Okay, thanks. Bye. Well, thanks a lot, Glenn. And I had a good Skype chat with Glenn um, and also his fiance, Vone, who uh, had some interesting comments too. I'll certainly... Um, Consider that idea for a show, Glenn. I think that's an interesting one. I uh, just got a question of finding out the, the the right person to talk to. I can think off the top of my head of a couple of resources about about sort of selling website ideas. Uh, there are a number of sites around that allow you to do that if it's already been developed up into a site. So sort of flipping websites. Um, but yeah, definitely one to come back to. Um, and Vone's comments. I had a nice chat with Vone, who said um, she was really enjoying the show. Uh, but she she wanted me to be a bit more upbeat in my delivery. Now I I think my delivery is um is pretty much me really, and I I will try and be a little bit more upbeat on occasion. But we had an we had a fun chat, and uh, I think we may get some uh, voice synthesis, so you can listen to Small Biz Pod as a sort of uh, an eighteen year old female or a sixty year old man or a an Aussie or an Austrian or a, uh, a Texan or whatever you like. Uh, that, that would be quite fun, and I'm sure the technology will arrive soon so you can, you can listen to me in whatever, whatever format you, you prefer. Um, so thank you guys very much for that, and I'm glad you're enjoying the show. Um, now let's move on to a, a second audio comment. Hi, Alex. It's Simon Wakeman from Whitstable in Kent, just dropping you an audio comment. I've just listened to my first episode of Small Biz Pod, and I've got to say, I think it's a great podcast. From what I've heard so far, it's an interesting discussion with David Tebbett, and it looks like you're covering a range of interesting areas um, from a small business point of view. I work in marketing and PR, but um, I've got a number of small business projects kind of bubbling under at the moment, and hopefully the listening to the Small Biz Pod will be very useful in helping me develop those. So keep up the good work, and it's good to see a fellow internet person working in Kent because I live I live in Whitstable and work mainly in Rochester so um, nice to have a local to listen to as well thanks so much and keep up the good work thanks bye well thanks a lot Simon um, good to hear uh, a local man listening to my show we stretch across the globe and yet there are still people in my home county of Kent in the UK who listen so thanks very much for that and uh, yeah we should touch base sometime have a have a pint or something uh, meet up um, and maybe we can we, we could do it with Mike O'Hara who I've also promised to drink with who lives just down the road from me too uh, and thanks to all of those who've emailed me or, or contacted me my Skype to say oh when's the next show coming out uh, particularly Juliet Prowse who was stalking me and sent a nice email so thanks Juliet for that and to quickly round off uh, because we're way over well not way over but a little bit over my uh, my 30 minute rule just a quick shout out to the guys who have signed up to the small biz pod frapper map uh, if you go to small biz pod site uh, you can leave comments or you can uh, join the frapper map um, and uh, put your pin in the map to say where you are um, so those include Carl from Melbourne in Australia, Keith Rosenmeyer from Alkmaar in the Netherlands, uh, Peter from Warsaw in Poland, uh, Tony Campbell from Andover, I think, in the UK, um, Beck from Fremantle in Australia, Darren Munro from Kentucky in the USA, Oleg Bivol from Bordeaux in France, nice part of France, uh, the intriguingly titled Munch, who's a, a young lady from London, uh, Glenn from Melbourne, um, Dee Amphlett from Rygate in the UK, Mike Black, um, Mehdi from Tokyo in Japan, Simon Taylor from Farnborough, and um, Andrew Hodgson from Workington. 
which I think is in the north of England. So thank you all very much indeed for for joining the map. It's always good to see where listeners are and to, even to see their photos. Uh, some quite fun photos on the map there. So on to my music choice for this week. And uh, this is a classic piece of trancey electronica and it's called Dub in Love for S-Snail by Mahadzan from, of course, the soon-to-be-departed electromancer.com. Thank you. 